Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Hope everyone's doing well. It's been an exciting time over here. We're still getting ready for the big move. So I spent a lot of time lately fixing up the old house to get it ready for sale and starting to pack up some of my stuff, which uh, Billy points out I have the most stuff of anybody in the house by far. So there's been a lot of packing up DVD collection, Transformer collection, uh, getting all the cages in the garage, which has been a nightmare because I've been accumulating cages over the course or enclosures over the course of years. And although we just did a big cleaning of our garage not that long ago, we got a dumpster and I recycled a lot of stuff I just knew I wasn't going to use anymore. There are probably over 100, if not more, enclosures out there that are just sitting there that I was trying to decide what to do with. So... Ah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and it looks like I'm going back to school sooner than I thought I was going to. As I mentioned before, I applied for another job. Well, apparently, it's a state job, and it's taking them forever to actually offer the job. I'm going through all these steps because I'm the, the lead candidate, and I'm waiting for the actual official job offer so that I can go to this new school. Well, unfortunately, they've taken so long that I'm going to have to start at my old school, which is pretty much a nightmare. So, Good time, so if I'm a little less prolific in the coming weeks, I'll always keep up with the podcast. That shouldn't be an issue, but I think the videos might suffer a little bit. I've kind of burned through the ones I had banked up, but they're just there's been a lot going on. There hasn't been a lot of time, so I just like to keep people updated. So if I go quiet, you know, it's not that I'm ignoring people. It's just there's a lot of stuff going on in my own life personally. So today we're going to talk a bit about tarantula temperament, and again, what's been kind of nice is with the YouTube comments, a lot of them, sometimes it's like a, a Thursday and I'm trying to figure out, all right, what am I going to do for the podcast topic this week? And I don't stress about it. There was a point where I used to stress about making sure I had something lined up ahead of time. Now I just kind of go with the flow and see what I've got, you know, coming in. And there were a couple comments that were right, literally posted within 24 hours of each other that really got me thinking, all right, this is going to be a cool topic to talk about. So temperament, tarantula temperament. And I think I've walked into this trap before where... I try to deal with stuff realistically. When I talk about tarantula temperament, I go for the general consensus of everybody. So even if it's a species I've raised that I find to be rather laid back, if the general consensus is they're not laid back, and I'm looking at you for Myctopus genus, then I'm going to mention it in one of my, I, I have to report what I see. And I do think that's important because if, you know, who knows, it may just be I've got a bunch of calm for Myctopus, or it may be that there's something I'm doing or some husbandry detail that I'm not aware of that's making mine more calm than others, it's important that you present that. So I have to present what I'm seeing in my own collection, but I also always think it's important to point out that these are just how mine are acting. This is my species, my formictivist species are laid back. However, I've noticed lately in the videos, I've been getting some people that take exception to when I say either a particular species is considered to be laid back or vice versa, I say a particular species is defensive and they get upset about it. So for example, we had three instances, again, within a, a, about a day period. First one, I was on my beginner species list, the top 13 picked by keepers, which again, I put that one out there because I thought it was important that everybody chime in. And that was one I really thought it was important on because these are ones that were telling people they're overall going to be the quote unquote safest ones you can start with. And I wanted to hear what people had to say about theirs instead of just going on my opinions. So the person's comment was basically, I don't agree at all with T. albopelosum being a beginner species. I have one and it is really nasty and aggressive. So there we have one side of it where you say that a tarantula is 
or one that's considered to be usually a laid back species, if you you mention that and somebody comes forward and goes, yeah, but mine is nasty, so therefore they're all nasty. Now the flip side, we had another one where I it was my I believe my T Gigas video where a guy came on, I think it was a guy, and basically said, I don't understand why these get such a bad rep. Everybody says they're nasty. I have one that will crawl, crawl out in my hand. I can handle it. Uh, she's a total sweetheart. So, and then we have the third one that kind of brings up another point, and one of the points I want to make today, where it was on my P. Sazme video, and the person actually agreed with the information, loves the species, obviously, but then at the end said, I really wish you wouldn't put things like, uh, rate them as a beginner species, because that could turn people off that potentially might want to keep them and that it, you know, shouldn't be a big deal for most people. It kind of went, it was the argument that if you've done your research, you should be prepared. And again, it, it's, it was around the temperament aspect of it because I do mention temperament in my videos. I do try to be very, again, realistic. It's not about sensationalizing. I think we go two different ways with it. And it's one, on one end spectrum, you have folks that like to sensationalize the old world thing, which drives me nuts to no end. I've obviously made that very, very clear, but it's the ones that will talk about how nasty they are. Somebody posted a video up about peace Letharia and in the title on the little thumbnail was venomous spider. No kidding. They're all venomous. Why do you got to put that there? So I I do see it on one side where people over-exaggerate how defensive and how nasty they are, but we, there's also the flip side. There's also the folks that have the so-called beginner species and talk about them like they are all the sweetest things on the world and that you can't have, like there's never going to be a situation where you're going to have, I don't know, say a... T. albopolosum that's a little bit nasty. Like, I don't think, I don't think this person's lying at all. I think they probably do have a particularly defensive specimen. I won't go the aggressive route, but defensive. And I think that's an absolute possibility. So I think there's a couple things going on here that we should talk about and that need to be, you know, we all need to be aware of. And I think there's, there's a reason this happens on both sides. There's a reason, you know, we've talked about ad nauseum, the defensiveness part of the old world species. And again, it's about warning people against them. But I also think sometimes people get upset and it depends on the spider. I've gotten into it and I'll go through a couple species that I've gotten into it with people before because they immediately assume that theirs is tame and mine has to be tame. And one issue I think is that people, tend to want to defend their favorite tarantulas. I've, I've seen this before where people get upset when somebody says something that they see as derogatory toward a species that they enjoy keeping and they tend to, like, it's almost like people arguing over sports teams or actors or anything that you, you know anything there's a fandom surrounding you get those tense arguments where people think that you saying something that may be the truth. If you have a Tiabopolosum that is defensive, that comes at you as soon as you open the cage, it throws up a threat posture, that can't be discounted. That's your truth. That doesn't mean the species as a whole is bad, even if they were all defensive. There are spiders out there that are widely recognized as being defensive. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not something that should be seen as derogatory. You're basically making, you're stating a fact. You're stating something that you see as true. And I think the problem is, again, people get so defensive around the ones that they like that they tend to get, you know, emotional about it and they jump in and they want to say, well, yours may be crazy and nasty, but mine's a total sweetheart. We get caught up in that part of it. And the funny thing is, I think for a lot of us that have been in the hobby for a while, when you first get in, temperament's a huge part of the hobby, and it probably should be. When you're first starting to keep tarantulas, venomous arachnids in your home, and you have family members whatnot, you need to be aware of the fact that there's old world and new world. You need to be aware of the fact that, although you may have had somebody come into your third grade class and show you off a B. Smithy or B. Hammeri, and they held it and it was tame and seemed to enjoy the handling, that that's not the case with the majority of them. This is information that you 
absolutely need to be aware of and need to be cognizant of as you're developing your skills in the hobby, as you're learning how to perform basic husbandry, do rehousings, work with them. That's very important. But I think the funny part is those of us who have been in the hobby for a while could care less about temperament. I don't care anymore. When I shop for spiders, temperament doesn't even come to mind. It, there's never a point where Billy, like she does a lot of, uh, I'll be on the computer and she'll be out in the computer in the other room. These shopping for tarantulas now. It's amazing. And she's like, what do you think about this one? There's never a point. Go, oh, well, let's look up and see what the temperament is. I don't care anymore. I've, I've worked, knock on wood, I've worked with them all successfully, the ones I have worked with. I haven't had a big issue with temperament. So if somebody were to say, if I were to keep a species and say I love my G. Porteri, a lot of people out there have the Psycho Rosies, the ones that are a little bit nuts. That doesn't bother me. That's them. That's their experience. How am I to discount that? Where I think it, it could be a little bit more dangerous, and it kind of bothers me a little bit, is when people use their experience with their one specimen and try to use that to brand an entire species. So, for example, with the guy with the T. albopelosis, I have the comments I get that I we laugh at, we have a good back and forth, the ones that go, yeah, I know everybody says theirs are really tame, mine's a nut job, I got the oddball perfect perspective you recognize the fact that yours is probably the odd one out in most instances that overall i mean of, of all the species to do this with the tiabopolosums are tiabopolosus are considered to be one of the more laid-back species there are some wild ones out there but the majority of people that report when i did my top 13 video this is one that the majority of people said that theirs were laid back i've had four or five of them my nicaraguans a little more flighty than the other ones probably wouldn't stick my hand in there but the other ones were very very laid back but that's where it becomes a problem is when somebody looks at their one specimen and says all right, my specimen is blank, therefore everybody's specimen has to be blank. So my specimen is very defensive, therefore this is a defensive species. That's not fair. That's not how it works, and that's very kind of narrow-minded as far as being able to look at the big picture. And again, this works both ways. We have the T. albopelosus one, we have the one with the T. gigas, where the person's like, I don't get why they get such a bad rep, mine is so laid back. That's yours. You got a you got a good one. You got it. We on the comments is always the sweetheart. You got the sweetheart. That's amazing. I've got it, sweethearts. But the one I like to point to is I have my P. Muranus, my OBT. Who honestly, if I was a more daring man and into the handling, I probably wouldn't think twice about letting her climb out in my hand. She's that laid back overall. This could change. Obviously, we'll talk about that in a moment. But she is traditionally she has been from day one fairly laid back and chill now does that mean that every single obt out there is laid back and chill absolutely obviously not we all I mean, and i'm purposely picking an extreme example we obviously there are many stories out there about them being defensive now i do believe a lot of this is to do with the fact and i've mentioned this before that the way we keep them for years we kept them terrestrially we didn't give them a lot of room to either burrow or to web we had them in shallow containers so when you whip the top off it was like ripping the roof off their house they're going to go into defensive mode i do think that was a big problem because i've spoken to more and more keepers put out a video uh, several years back about them keeping them giving them a little extra room i've talked to some buddies of mine that have kept theirs with deeper containers and they're not nearly as nasty but that's not to say the potential isn't there obviously the potential is there so for me to come out if i were to come out and go yeah i'm tom moran here's my husbandry video on p muranus mine's a total sweetheart i would handle her can you imagine what people would think they would see that and go oh because there's some people that are gonna go this guy knows what he's talking about he's saying that they're a laid-back species they're a tame species I'm going to get one of these and I'm going to handle it. You can see where it goes. So I think that that's the issue that I have sometimes is people seeing something that's in their own collection with one specimen and kind of using it to dictate the rules for everybody's specimen. So 
Uh, the other one I like to bring up, and this one drives me nuts because it's getting to the point where like I yell at the Billy, like, oh, we got another one. Sea Versicolor. Apparently, a lot of people out there have Carabina Versicolors that are very tame, laid back, tractable, uh, amazing spiders. They're cute. They're fluffy. I get it. They hold them. Awesome. I have one. It's the female that uh, had a bunch of babies a while back that is absolutely bonkers. She's skitters around the enclosure when disturbed. She's tried to get out of the enclosure. She is not a very laid back spider at all. And what will happen is people will come onto my videos that feature the spider and say things like, I don't understand why you're afraid of her. Why don't you handle her? Pick her up and hug her. No, yours may be laid back. That's great. Mine is not at all. And I get this one all the time for this species because, again, that temperament, The a lot of people out there talk about the temperaments of theirs are very laid back. They, I've heard from many, many people, and I don't discount that. I obviously have one of the ones that is not particularly laid back. She's a bit crazy. She's a bit defensive. She did go through a stretch of probably about two years where she was rather laid back, but after she had her sack, she molted, and she was a totally different woman after that. The other one I get all the time, and this is a favorite in the hobby, especially amongst beginners, and I get it, and there are people out there that talk in their videos about how tame and laid back they are, and they don't mention the other side of it because for everyone that's tame and laid back. I've heard stories of ones that are defensive. They'll throw up threat postures or do a lot of hair kicking. Just something to be aware of. The Afana Palma Calcotas. Now, there's probably people out there going, oh no, not the Calcotas. I love these. They're awesome spiders. I have my Nikki that I did a video on. I absolutely adore this girl. I am hoping she'll settle down a bit. She seems to be getting a little bit bigger, but she's nuts. She's crazy. She charges right out at you when you open the thing. Not, not in a defensive way, but she's got some Definitely got some attitude, which I love, but not one I would stick my hand in there with. I also had another adult female that was most likely wild caught, an older female. She would threat posture. She would kick hairs, and then people would come on the video and go, why don't you pick her up? Mine is so tame. Again, it's we need to recognize, and I think it's more important, you know, than anything, we can generalize temperaments. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's important when you're trying to warn people that might be getting in over their heads with certain species, they need to be aware that they all have their own distinct personalities. But I do think it's important to say, all right, old worlds, generally speaking, are considered to be a bit more defensive. New worlds, generally speaking, are some of the beginner species. These are ones that are picked and put on beginner list because the majority of people... Now, remember, 60% is majority. That still means 40% of the people have ones that don't fit that bill. That always needs to be in the back of our mind. But I don't think it's a bad thing to be able to kind of group them and generalize them in terms of temperament. But then you need to dig deeper. You need to go, all right, I'm looking for a beginner species. And I every time I, I help somebody pick a beginner species, I always say the majority... I'll say, like, for example... G. Polkerpies. Somebody asked me about G. Polkerpies. I go, I have four. They are awesome. They are laid back. However, I have talked to other people that have ones that aren't. You need to be careful. Always put in my videos, my big comment is temperament may vary from specimen to specimen and from molt to molt. And what that means is be aware of the fact that regardless of what mine are doing in this video, regardless of what you've heard about others, yours could be the exception to the rule. You could have the piece of theory that calmly climbs out on your arm and just sits there and, and doesn't threat pose and doesn't pose any threat, although I've never encouraged anybody to do that. But you could have that one that doesn't run and hide, that doesn't bolt. You could also have the B. Amelia that nobody talks about that runs, throws threat postures up, slaps the dirt when you open the enclosure and kicks hairs, whatever it may be. There are always exceptions to the rule. There are always, when we talk in generalities, there are always the, you know, 
again, you talk about the majority of them being one way. There's always that group that aren't that way. And I think that's always important to remember. So I think we need to, again, I don't, I would never argue against generalizations because I think they're important. I think for, there's so much information out there on tarantulas. Again, it's one of those things you start off, it's like any hobby, any new activity you get into, there's a learning curve. So it doesn't matter what it is, you're going to be learning a bunch of stuff. And I think when you're dealing with animals and animal husbandry, there's an extra stressor added to it because you're not just worried about learning the hobby, you're also trying to keep an animal healthy and alive. And I think that adds a little bit of stress to it overall. And I think having generalities helps people try to chunk, it's like chunking the information from like, all right, we're going to start off. They're not all tame. Throw out the idea that, that, you know, again, you're in the fourth grade and they walked around with that spider. It was super tame. They're not all like that. Know that there are ones that are more defensive where they can threat posture, where they can kick hairs, where they can bite. You need to know that. And there are ones that are considered less defensive or possibly even tractable. And that kind of allows people, you know, again, it's, it's slowly opening up the hobby to them going, oh, wait a minute. They're not all the same. I need to be aware of that. And that usually is enough to get you to start thinking about temperament. Because I know the first time I learned about the difference between old worlds and new worlds, that became the most important thing when I was making my list of tarantulas I wanted to get. What is the temperament? That's what I wanted to hear about. That's what I was looking up. That was the information that was guiding my purchases. I would go on and go, ooh, this one's pretty. What is it? A cobalt blue. I want one of these. Let's look it up. This is an old world species. Uh Uh-oh. These are one of the ones I've learned have a bad bite. What are the temperament like? And then all these... Back then, it was a lot of people that weren't quite giving them enough room to dig. You were getting a lot of webbing. Again, the whole thing ripping the top off. You were getting a lot of ornery spiders. And I was like, these guys are nasty. Not for me. I do think it's important to have those in there. So I would never argue that we abolish you know, that. I do think it's important. However, I do think it's also important that when we talk about, especially if we're trying to teach or inform people, when we talk about our specimens, we need to make it clear, this is how my specimen is acting. This is how my T. gigas acts. This is my how my T. albopilosum acts. This is how my P. may acts. We want to make sure that people realize that just like any other animal you can keep, just like human beings, there are nice human beings, there are not so nice human beings, there are defensive human beings, there are laid back human beings. It can be the same way. And even if you're getting a species, you're going out there, you're buying the the, the big one we get is the, the black lab of the tarantula hobby, the G Polkra or the Kira guy, we we talk about how laid back they are usually, but there are people that get their little juveniles and they go nuts and they freak out and they're like, I don't understand. Or I just had somebody tell me they had a male that was rather uppity. We need to be aware that can happen. It shouldn't turn you off to the hobby. It's part of the hobby. And again, I think the majority of us that get into the real deep in hobby and start collecting a lot of different species, it, it becomes a non-issue after a while. But it, it's something to be aware of going through. It's something to be aware of if you're one of the ones doing it. You know, Stop and question yourself for a minute. Just because yours is laid back, does that mean everybody should be? Just because yours is a defensive monster, does that mean everybody should be? Obviously not. And I fall victim to it too. I always try to walk this fine line because obviously... When I'm talking about these and I'm doing the husbandry videos, it is important to mention I disagree completely with the guy. And again, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I get, I kind of get where he's going from. But back to the P. Sosmeg, that's a species that, quite frankly, I don't think for many beginners will make a good beginner species because the majority. I've talked to a lot of people about this now, and they've all said that theirs went through a, a stage where it was rather defensive, and mine would come was one of the only spiders I had that would challenge you. It would come out at you. A lot of them will throw up the defense posture. Their fangs aren't out and bare. They, they, it looks very spectacular, but there's not a lot behind it. These guys would charge up, throw the threat posture, slap at you, fangs out, and I think that's something that somebody getting into the hobby should be aware of. I do think you need to be able to discuss temperament in videos and some possibilities of things they might see because 
it's a blue spider, number one. We all know about the blue spiders. Everybody wants the blue spiders. New Newcomers to the hobby are obsessed with the blue spiders. And I had so many people go, hey, this is a blue spider and it's a new world. So this is a good beginner, right? In my opinion, for many people, no, it's not because of the fact they're going to go through that stage and that can be rather intimidating to somebody that's used to laid back behavior. So the individual came forward, again, respect the opinion. I get where he was going with it, but my thing is it's not turning people off. I'm trying to be realistic. I'm giving them all the information so they can make an informed decision because I don't just go, no, this isn't a beginner species and move on. I explain why I think this could give people trouble and then leave it up to them. I'm not telling anybody what they can or cannot keep. I have people that will still, they'll email me. Hi, Tom, I've been in the hobby for three months. I would like to get a P. Metallica. Do you think I should get this? I will give my two cents and then say, but it's basically up to you. Do you think you're ready for it? How are your rehousings? Are you ready for a fast spider? Blah, blah, blah. You know the routine by now. But I do think it's important. I need to be able to mention that stuff because it would be foolish not to address temperament. It's one of those things. It's not like humidity that I kind of wish would just go away. It's one of those things that I do think we need to be able to discuss it, but we need to discuss it realistically because at the end of the day, these are wild animals. They're not, I'm sorry, I do think I've seen signs of rudimentary conditioned responses from some of them because I know somebody will always jump up and go, I think they're a lot smarter than they think. They very well could be. And I think anybody that's kept for a long time has seen indications that they do stuff that seems like they learn it. But again, I always point to the fact that my dog is tame. She's cuddly. When she throws her coat for the summer or winter, when she sheds her skin, she doesn't suddenly change her temperament. With tarantulas, we've had instances with tarantulas. It happens often. A tarantula is particularly laid back. It molts. And the new version is not only bigger, but nastier happens all the time. If it's a learned behavior, it shouldn't change with the malt. So there's something there that needs to be looked at because that would make me wonder, all right, do they really learn this stuff? But does that mean we don't talk about temperament because it could change or it could be, no, not at all. Again, I think the generalities help people start to get that, that, that idea that there are ones that are a little easier to deal with than others. And then they take it from there. It's all part of the learning curve. It's part of, you know, going out and, and doing the research. And that's why it's so dangerous sometimes. Uh, not dangerous, but it's it's counterproductive to the hobby when people just go out and just go, you know what, mine's tame, so everybody's just tame. Mine's, I get it more, it's funny, actually, it's not more with the, I get it both ways with new worlds and old worlds. With the old worlds, I have some people that take exception to the fact that they say I downplay the risk of them. It's not downplaying at all. I'm realistic about it. It's if you, you know, you're careful, there shouldn't be an issue. And I talk about the fact that although these people talk about all of theirs being crazy, knock on wood, I have not had many issues with my old worlds at all. I have a bunch to rehouse soon, so hopefully I didn't just jinx myself. But it's, it's not been a big deal for me. And I get other people do, but I'm just presenting my opinion and what I see. On the flip side, I'll people come on and I'll mention a species being you know, the same type of species, I'll mention the fact that some people report it's defensive and has the venomous bite, and they'll go, but mine, I can handle mine. I don't understand why you're saying that. Mine are laid back. It's like you can't win. And I think part of the problem is it, there's it, there's a spectrum as far as behaviors go with tarantula temperament. We need to recognize that. Some will fall more on one side of the spectrum where they'll be more tractable. Some will fall on the other side of the spectrum where they'll be potentially more defensive, likely to bite, likely to kick hairs. And then there's all the ones in between, and then they molt, and sometimes they bounce from one side to another. That's something we need to be aware of. But I do think, you know, that, that would be my my golden rule as far as temperament. You should always have it in the back, always get a feel for what type of spider you're dealing with. Because again, it, it, certain ones, you can, there are certain set of expectations that just set you up comfortably to recognize this could be a difficult rehousing. This could be, an, you know, an easier rehousing. 
But my big thing is just treat them all. And I get, I used to get flack about this early on when I did my rehousings. I treat them all exactly the same. I treat them all with the same level of respect. If I'm moving a G Polker piece, I'm giving it the same amount of respect as my H Polker piece. And if you've watched my rehousing videos, you've seen it. I have people come on all the time. The biggest, I won't say it's complaint. I think it's question. Like, I don't think they get it. Is people are like, why don't you just pick that spider and put it in there? Because I practice good technique all the time so that when something does go wrong or I do get a defensive spider, I'm ready for it. I don't do something silly. I used to train martial arts for years and we used to talk about that, the, you know, what you do in practice, what you do in training is how you're going to react in real life. So if you've got a bad habit, if you do something that's going to set you up to get hit, then you need to eliminate that because if you practice that over and over, if you practice poor technique over and over and over, when the real deal comes, when the real time comes to actually throw down, you're going to emulate, you're going to do the exact same thing. It's the same thing with tarantula husbandry and tarantula transfers. If you practice the same thing every single time, safety every single time, you're reinforcing all those, you're, you're training your muscles, you're training your brain to react a certain way every time it happens, regardless if there's a bad situation or if it goes very smoothly. So uh, for years, I've had people come on, you know, sometimes they're just questioning. Sometimes it's the, the typical mailbox head that's like, oh, would you pick it up? What's wrong with you? Whatever. I work it. That's why I think knock on wood, my rehousings go very well because I did practice the right way early on. So that would be my big thing. As far as temperament's concerned, be aware of what people say. Look at more than one opinion. If you have one that's defenses or defensive or if you have one that's tame, please remember that there are other people, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of that species out there in collections that may act differently than the one you have. Always keep that in mind when you start telling people. I always like to do mine act like this. So that way we're, we're drawing a line. Not They all act like this. Mine generally act like this so that people are aware this is my experience with it. It is not to be you know, thought of as something saying this is how they all act. That's always very important. And if you're newer to the hobby, the best tip I can give you, work with them, treat them all with the same respect, the exact same respect, the exact same way. Who cares what anybody thinks? I have people that will they'll send me videos and go, can you watch this rehousing? I think I was overly cautious. There's no such thing as overly cautious as far as I'm concerned. If you're rehousing and it goes from point A to point B, the spider gets in there without any incident, nobody's put in harm's way, perfect rehousing. I don't care what you need to do. I guess there is over, we had one guy that wanted to buy the puncture proof gloves that might be going a little overboard. And I did mention before, somebody built one of those things that looks like something out of a sci-fi movie where you stick your hands in the in the sides and there's the gloves and you work inside an enclosed thing. That was that was pretty impressive. I, I don't want to say he went overboard, but that was when I was like, wow, he went through great lengths to make sure that spider doesn't escape. But you know what? He's probably never had any escapes. So there you go. So don't let anybody sway. If, you, if you're one of the extra cautious type, I am too. I've been doing this for years. I've kept hundreds of tarantulas successfully. It's work for me. It can work for you. Don't let anybody give you a hard time. And if you see people out there that are kind of definitively saying something is, you know, this one's a very defensive spider or this one's a very laid back and tame and handle it spider, feel free to speak up. You don't have to be nasty about it, but just like, yeah, the temperaments can vary from specimen to specimen. They can vary from mult to mult. They can vary. You might have a tame one. You might have a defensive one. Just treat them all with the same respect and you should be fine. All right, moving on to the next topic. Not going to be a particularly long one, but it's come up a couple times lately, and it's something I feel like needs to be addressed, and that's putting the tarantula first. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of folks get into the hobby, and we covered this, uh, kind of covered this a while back when we are talking about enclosures. They get into the hobby, and the tarantula hobby is such that we don't have a lot in terms of specific 
equipment or enclosures made for our hobby. So for example, if I want a dog, I can go out and buy a crate for my dog. I can buy some one to put it in my car. I, there's a million different things you can buy for a dog. They're made specifically for dogs. They're in mind. With tarantulas, a lot of what we get, although it's starting to change, we're starting to get kind of tarantula exclusive enclosures. I think a lot of people are taking the reptile stuff and converting it more to our taste. But for years, we were using stuff that was either used for fish or for reptiles or for hamsters, and we were converting it over. Or we just go to our local Walmart or our Hobby Lobby and we grab up some plastic case made to hold footballs or basketballs or baseballs or matchbox cars or sports cards or whatever it may be. We drill some holes in it and we make our own enclosures. The found enclosure aspect of the hobby is a lot of fun. It makes it attractive to a lot of people. I, a lot of us enjoy looking for the next great thing we can use for, for an enclosure. I was joking to Billy that we're going to be doing the big move and I've got, I'm eyeing some really nice stuff. I'm buying some beautiful acrylic cages to put there because I want kind of some consistency i want to put some of them in really nice enclosures so i'm gonna have the room for it but and she's like so this is going to be it and i go no i'll probably continue to buy cages it's just part of the fun of the hobby and i think because of that people just start to think you can keep them in anything and that's not true and there are stuff things out there that are not appropriate for tarantulas and i think unfortunately unlike and i don't know maybe people can speak to they've been in other hobbies i didn't notice it so much with snakes you don't notice it so much again with uh, fish you, you have certain aquariums you get certain sizes Maybe it's different for reptiles or whatnot, but you get a lot of people that come out and they just go, all right, I have this cage already from my bearded dragon, from my goldfish I had, from, uh, in one case, it was, they had just plants in it. I'm just going to put my spider in here because it's convenient to me. And I, I see that problem popping up quite a bit. And then it ends up in kind of terse conversations where I'm trying to explain to the person that you're not putting your animal first. I get that you have this wonderful enclosure that you have that has plants in it that's been set up for a while and you want to stick a tarantula in it because you think it will look cool. But you got to ask yourself, is that right for the tarantula? So for example... I had somebody contact me recently. She had a whole plant set up with, it was, uh, she described it, some of her boyfriend had built something that was glass. It was like all plants. It was all it, uh, kind of a, had a mister in it. There was a little like pool with pebbles and stuff and all this cool stuff. It was, it, the pictures were beautiful. So many different plants. Like it was just gorgeous. I'm brain farting out of what they're called. Was it terrarium? Terrarium? Is that the ones with just the plants? Somebody feel free to correct me. I'm totally brain farting out. But anyway, it was meant to house plants. There wasn't a lot of ventilation. There was lighting. And she was telling me how she wants to put an avicularia or a pink toe in the terrarium and asking me if it would be a good enclosure. So unfortunately, I said that is an absolutely beautiful setup you have there, but absolute death trap for the avicularia. And then came the back and forth. Well, I don't understand why. I did some research and they're from a place that's really humid and it's really humid there because I said that the plants would need to be watered. You have the mister. That's not going to be a good environment. So then I had to go back and try to explain the history of this genus that people were keeping them super moist in stuffy enclosures just like hers would be. There wasn't enough airflow going through and this posed to be a problem. There was death trap. You had a lot of them dying. Well, she still didn't get it, but this is what they would have in nature. I'm going to try it. I think it'll do fine. And I was so frustrated because, I, I again, I spent time doing this. And then, again, there's that idea that, all right, the spider doesn't come first. It's my pretty enclosure. They had somebody else that wanted to do a coffee table. They had a coffee table enclosure. I guess it used to have, I don't know what was, it was some think a snake maybe it was something that was in the table they got rid of the snake or whatever it was and they wanted to set it up with tarantulas and I, I 
argued the fact that I'm like, well, where's this going to be? This was the college age kids. It was right in the middle of their room and they wanted something in there with a bunch of spiders. They were looking at maybe an M. Balfoury thing. And I'm like, listen, here's the deal. Uh, they showed me pictures of it. It looked like it possibly could have been okay, but there wasn't a lot of ventilation in it. And it looked like, like in the pictures, you could see the beer cans in the background, everything. This is a spot that's going to get a lot of action. I don't think that's necessarily an appropriate spot to put a bunch of spiders. That's going to be incredibly disruptive to the spiders. So if you got music blasts, you got the TV going, you got people running around there, whatever they're doing, it's been a long time since I've been in college, not going to be a good situation. And again, they're like, but it's going to look so cool. That's not what you should be asking yourself. You should be asking yourself, is this the right environment for spiders? So again, I think the found aspect of the enclosures really sets us up for this in the hobby because people see so many examples especially if they're on youtube looking stuff up or if you look up tarantula enclosures online you'll see a lot of different setups and it looks like just about anything can be used for a tarantula setup back in the day what was the big thing when i first got into it everything was like 10 gallon aquarium you take a 10 gallon aquarium you throw a couple inches of dirt in it throw one of those screen tops on, on, on over the top of it, you're totally fine. Your tarantula is going to be fine. Then we found out years later, those are good for it. They could fall and hurt themselves on, you know, decorations or what edges of water dishes. They can get stuck in the screen tops. If it's the thick screen, they get their little toe claws caught. Those things can be death traps. They're not made for tarantulas. They're not as like right out of box, a 10 gallon aquarium without enough substrate and without a decent top is not appropriate for tarantulas. They have to be altered. A lot of people will put cross ventilation in them. They'll drill holes in the side. They'll create plexiglass tops. We'll do a really nice job, fill them up with enough substrate so that if they do climb and fall, they don't hurt themselves. But those for years, like, and still, if you go to pet stores, I almost did the pet store discussion today, but I've shied off of it. I just don't think I can do it correctly. If you go to pet stores, that's what they push on you. If you go, I can't tell you how many people email me. I bought this new spider. I don't get it. It's not settling in. And I see an avicularia species in a 10-gallon aquarium with the mesh top curled all up in the corner, the upper corner, no coverage, no decorations not an appropriate enclosure. So I think, unfortunately, I think part of it, again, is due to the fact that we do use so many different types of things of enclosures. I think part of it is that people just don't respect the animals enough. You wouldn't go out and buy a dog. Well, and sadly, some jerks would. But most of us, you get a dog, you know that it needs certain things. It needs shelter during the day. You, you buy things that are appropriate for the dog. With spiders, people just go out and it's just an oddity. They don't care about it. I've heard people that are in the hobby like, well, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a bug. That's kind of a sad way to look at it because for a lot of people out here, that's their pets. They love these things. Whether or not they reciprocate that love, totally different story, but they love these animals. They care for them deeply. I have the queen, the G. Porteri. I have had now for 26 years. I've lost track. I, I love that spider. I mean, there's a lot of sentimental attachment to that animal. She's been through a lot with us, even though she doesn't, you know, it's nothing I cuddle with or anything. The take the attitude that it's just this, this disposable creature that you can throw in any old thing and not take into account what it needs, that's pretty sad. And it seems to be fairly prevalent with people getting in the hobby that they think they can use just about anything for enclosures. The other thing that I run into a lot, now obviously I've dabbled with the bioactive enclosures. I will tell you the jury is still... I. 
I'm learning a lot keeping them, and I'm not an expert at this by any stretch of the imagination, as evidenced by the fact that I'm running about a 50% success rate on keeping the plants alive in the enclosures. But I have some that I think look great, and it's a complement to the enclosure and the spider, and I have others that I'd like to rip the remaining half-dead webbed-up plants out and just start over from scratch. There's poo all over them. It just doesn't look as... They look so nice when you set them up, and later on it's like, ugh... But anyway, there are so many people getting into the hobby that they haven't learned basic tarantula husbandry yet. And then they see somebody puts up a bioactive enclosure, like I'm going to do the bioactive enclosure thing. And I know there's probably people out there that will argue, well, anybody can do a bioactive enclosure. Yeah, if you do a simple one, they're pretty, they're not particularly risky. For example, you throw a pothos in there with some dirt and you don't have to go overboard or watering it. I, I totally get it. But I think for somebody just getting into the hobby, let's learn what the tarantula needs first. Let's put the tarantula's needs that make them paramount. I want to make sure my spider is healthy, safe, thrives in my care. Let's not throw in other things like trying to keep plants alive while we're trying to learn that stuff. I don't think that's a good situation. I had somebody ask, do you think people that are just getting into the hobby should jump right into bioactives? My gut instinct, and again, it's my opinion. I'm sure there are people that jump right in with the bioactive setups and do perfectly fine with them. You can't discount that. Not everybody's the same, but I think for the majority of people just getting into the hobby, spend some time learning how to set up a basic enclosure with your hide, your water dish, when you need to rehouse, get that down, because that's another thing, knowing when the rehouse is important. I have people that come up, they get a tarantula, they put it in this beautiful little enclosure they stick some plants in there and then they don't want to rehouse it because like oh i just housed it in this thing and it's got the plants i don't want to disrupt it and take it out now learn the basic husbandry first learn what they need learn what the species can tolerate a little moisture which species you probably should keep the plants away from and then when you start feeling comfortable with that put the plants in and the plants should be secondary. It should never be a situation where I'm going to plant this beautiful enclosure, do all these plants that I'm spending a lot of money on and the tarantula is going to get in there. It's just going to have to work for them. That's not fair to the animal. And I do see a lot of folks that do that, that find these enclosures, set them all up with the bioactive stuff, drop the spider in. And then they're wondering why the spider's cowering in a corner or why it doesn't seem particularly healthy. The worst instance I ever saw was an avicularia. No, that's how it was a Caribbean versicolor. And they had set up this glorious, glorious enclosure with plants and bark and tree branches going through and vines and all this stuff. But it was a huge pool of water on the bottom. I think they had toads in it or something. It wasn't a tarantula enclosure. And they put this beautiful female Caribbean versicolor in and they found the Caribbean versicolor dead in the little pool on the bottom. And their reaction was, oh, I think it drowned. I thought you said they couldn't drown. Well, it didn't drown. The enclosure was so stuffy. The thing had died, killed over, and probably what ends up happening is they fall down into the water and they are too weak to get back up. People think they actually went into the water, fell in, and drowned. They couldn't get out. It's They're too weak. They fall, and it just happens to be they fell in the water dish. But this was a situation where the thing ended up dying. And when I looked at the enclosure, it was condensation all around it. It was a death trap for one of these. No cross ventilation. Not a lot of ventilation at all, even on the top. And I was trying to explain this person. And again, they went back to the, but when I did my research, this is what they're like in the wild. And again, we've covered, I have a hard time because... It, when we research a tarantula, we tend to go and look at what they live, how they live in the wild. And I always caution people that that's a great place to start to get an idea of what they can tolerate. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the conditions they're exposed to there are ideal temperatures, ideal humidity. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we can replicate them in the same way in our homes. There's a, there's a, It's dangerous sometimes 
to try to emulate things too closely to what they have in the wild. I've, I've been getting a lot of those lately. There are some videos out there of people talking about how they set them up with heat lamps because in the wild they get a, te- they get a temperature gradient, and I find that very dangerous. I, I think we've done enough working with them to realize that they are quite adaptable in our homes when they're in captivity, that the majority of a lot of them that come from these places where they are exposed to extreme climates – that's not their ideal. And I think that's always important to remember. And I think that's part of the problem with the bioactives and why people want to rush into doing a bioactive and thinking it's going to be a great thing for the tarantula. I think part of the problem comes from there because they'll go and look. I've had people go, I look, I even researched what they, what plants they would have. And they don't realize that just by enclosing them in a glass enclosure or an acrylic enclosure that you've changed. There's no breeze whistling through those trees, keeping the air moving. It can become fetid in there. I think that's something, again, with the bioactives, that's something you want to pursue after you've kind of got your, you know, you've got your sea leg, so to speak. You know your basic husbandry. You know what you're doing. Pick a species that's a little resilient and make sure that you really do your research and how to keep them so that you don't set them up in something that could be potentially a death trap. The other species that we get this a lot with where you don't put the tarantula first is the moisture-dependent ones. I had somebody the other day that has a tea blondie that they wanted to know if they could put it in a 12 by 12 exoterra nano enclosure. I said, what size is a tea blondie? And they're like, well, right now it's about five inches or so. I said, well, if it stopped at five inches, it would probably be okay with that. Except for the fact I don't find that those enclosures hold enough. A, they don't hold enough substrate for a species that might burrow or for in my in my opinion, for a species that's going to require moisture, that you're going to want that deep substrate to maintain the lower levels moist, it's really hard with those exoteras because you have to kind of angle it in because that litter dam in the front is only about three inches high or so. So if I'm setting up a Theraphosa species, I want to make sure there's enough depth of substrate, five inches or so at least, that I can get some moisture underneath, let the top dry out, you know, prevents the mold and the, you know... Things that you don't want, but allows still that lower level that they can burrow to. I don't think those enclosures provide that. Plus, if you're talking about a five-inch Theraphosa species, your next molt, you're probably pushing six or seven. So that enclosure, it's going to outgrow it in two molts. And what happened was I recommended one of the Sterilite ones that I use for ones that size to give you a decent amount of substrate to, to dig in. I, I offered a couple other things. And the guys said, yeah, but those look terrible. I want to display this. It's really important to me that I'm able to show this one off. So we kind of got in a discussion like, all right, do you want your spider to be healthy or do you want to show it off? I'm telling you that the thing you're going to put it in, in my opinion, you came to me asking for help, in my opinion, is not going to be appropriate for this species, at least for very long, where in this one would give you more space, you'd be able to put more substrate in. So he ended up deciding he was going to look for a bigger version of the enclosure, and that was the end of the conversation. But again, there was an instance you weren't putting the spider and the spider's needs first. You are putting aesthetics above that, and that's dangerous, and that's a problem I think that sometimes too many – again, I get wanting to put them in pretty cages. Believe me, I get it more than anything now because now I've spent a lot of time putting them in nicer cages because I do want to show off my collection, but sometimes it's more important that you look at what the spider needs at that moment in time, especially when you're talking about a younger specimen that you're just going to rehouse anyway. Don't go to the moon on the earlier ones. Don't go to the moon for slings. I've had people send me bioactive enclosures with slings, which, again, to each your own. If you want to do it, do it. I just don't think there's any point at that stage because they're going to be moved out of those enclosures sooner than later. Same thing with juveniles. For adults, if you're going to do 
an adult enclosure, make sure the enclosure is appropriate for what that spider needs. If it needs depth, then give it an enclosure that offers depth. Don't put it in one of those exoterra 12 by 12 by 12 cubes that don't offer enough space for digging because then you're going to leave a situation where either it's going to dry out too quickly or the spider isn't going to have enough room to burrow. So it's going to end up webbing up and you're going to have a situation where the spider is going to be more defensive. And then you'll be one of the people going online going, I don't know why people are saying these guys are laid back. Mine's super defensive. <laughs> Seriously, though, that's kind of how it happens. So always look at what the spider needs first. I know there are a million different beautiful things out there we could use. I don't Again, this kind of came from the fact that I got a lot of people in the last month or so. I think it's because, you know, the garden centers are over and stuff and they're trying to do bioactives and set up these really nice enclosures and coming up with these really cool ideas on paper of where they would like to put their spiders. But when you get into the actual details about what, you know, they're included and the lack of ventilation, the amount of plants, they have misters, whatnot, they're just not appropriate for the animals. A lot of that lately. So I just wanted to reiterate that there should never be a point where you're setting up the enclosure and then finding a tarantula put into it. You should have your tarantula research and figure out what the correct enclosure is for that tarantula at that time. If you don't have the money for something really big and beautiful or, you know, because the other one, it's like, well, I don't have money to spend on an enclosure. I had this 20 gallon long enclosure here that I'd like to put this little HNC in. No, that's not how it works. That's not appropriate. That's just using what you have. If you don't have the money, there are a lot of inexpensive options out there. Granted, they're not going to be as pretty and aesthetically pleasing to the eye as some of the expensive ones, but they're appropriate for your tarantula and that's what it should be about. So anyway, that should do it for this one. Two topics I want to cover because they keep popping up and I figure it's, again, it's always nice to have these on hand. So when somebody asks a question, I can just go, hey, listen to the podcast. I'd like to thank everybody that listens to the podcast. My The listeners, the amount of listeners has gone up quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. I kind of thought it bottomed out, not bottomed out, but I thought we kind of hit where we we're going to go. But we seem to be still picking up people that are listening to it, which is absolutely amazing. Because again, I know I've said this a million times, but I never thought this was going to go anywhere. And to see the amount of people that are coming over, I'm actively getting people over. It's awesome. And it's so different from YouTube because YouTube people come on. I swear to God, they put a thumbs up. They like, they leave a comment. And a lot of times they don't even bother watching the video. And it's like, I, I, I don't make these things to stoke my ego to go, Ooh, look how many views I got. My, my point of doing this is that it's going to help people. And I like to think that the effort is going to be rewarded by people actually watching it. And with the podcast, you can see what percentage of people actually finish the podcast. It's like 88%. It's amazing. And I'm sure some people just probably realize they get to the end and they don't finish it because they know I'm going to say the same thing every time. So whatever. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. I, this has become something I take a lot of pride in and I can't wait to start doing this as my dog snores in the background. We won't be any more of that anymore and we'll be able to get guests on because I won't have to worry about cutting or things going around. It's going to be amazing. So I can't wait. It'll be like a new New era as far as the podcast goes, because I think it'll really open me up to be a little more relaxed even, because a lot of it's like walking on eggshells, waiting for the next big noise so that I have to stop it, and it kind of kills my flow. So anyway, that'll do it for this one. As always, you can find me at thomasbigspiders.com. You can find me on Thomas Big Spiders on YouTube. Guys, please be safe, and we'll catch you all next time.